0: times that I've told you before that if I had the opportunity to design the facilities, which I didn't in this context and couldn't anyhow, but it would be a totally open ceiling so that you could just see the heavens every time we have the opportunity to pray. I don't know how they would do it, but man, it would be awesome. I suppose we lived in Texas or Hawaii. Maybe you could pull that off, right? It's going to snow on Tuesday here. Don't you love living in Pennsylvania? What a great and mighty God we serve. What a great time. Man, if you were here last Sunday night, man, we had a phenomenal experience. And uh, so we had so many people who came. Obviously, as I asked you last Sunday morning when we ended, bless our visitors and you did that. Thank you so much for that. Over 900 people here for the concert and every volunteer. Thank you so much. People spent hours. There were some people who never went home uh, last Sunday morning from the time they showed up to around 11, 1130 at night. So there's a lot of work went into that and a lot of volunteers. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. I really appreciate that. This next Sunday is the last Sunday for the shoe boxes, So if you're doing that, interested in it, uh, a lot of people ask me on the way in, where do they go? And it's hard to see. They're literally all the way around on this side over here behind one of those areas toward the legacy room. So uh, I want to make sure you see that very clearly. I, I never get a chance to just talk to you. We've got a lot of scripted at events and all of that. And, and so every once in a while, I just want to stop and say, hey, we've got some great things coming up. And I want to let you know about that. But on December the 1st, that's Thanksgiving weekend. Thanksgiving is a little bit late this year. But on Sunday morning, December the 1st, we're going to celebrate. I mean, we are going to celebrate. So if you've got family coming in that particular weekend, we've got a Thanksgiving Eve service. It's our praise time. But on Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate the goodness of God. We're going to talk about his grace. And we're going to celebrate communion in a really powerful way. So uh, invite a friend. Invite some family members that weekend. Then the following Sunday is our CAC Ministry Celebration Sunday about what God is doing here. You're going to get an annual report the week before about what God is doing and what God is expecting to do and what we're hoping he will do in the coming years. So be looking forward to that. But we're in the middle of putting all that together and nominating committees meeting tonight. A lot of things taking place. A lot of people have questions and you wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, Bob Thomas is one of the greatest gifts God's given me in the last number of years as an executive pastor here at Community Alliance Church. So give him a call. He will answer or try to answer every question or concern you have. And uh, so that's the best platform for that. And that Sunday morning we won't be doing that, so give him a call and ask some questions so that you can have those answered. If you do want to know anything about Community Alliance and you've never had an experience about that or had some questions you wanted to ask, you wanted to know what membership entails, tonight and next Sunday night is two-hour membership class Everything you wanted to know, a lot of information about our church and who we are with no obligation to join. But you got to have a book before you go tonight. Even if you didn't sign up yet, you can still come tonight. Uh, but you need one of those books before you leave today. So be sure that you get one of those. Tomorrow's Veterans Day. And uh, if you know anything about me or my passion, I am overwhelmed by those who serve in a variety of capacities. And so this morning I'd love to honor those, but I want to broaden that for a moment. We are unbelievably blessed in our nation to have people who are willing to give their all and to serve on a regular basis. Many have served down through the generations, and every time you go to one of those memorials, I remember I grew up in the Vietnam era, so the very first time I saw the Vietnam War Memorial, I could not say a word. And I was overwhelmed by the sacrifice of people down through the ages, and every generation, The greatest generation that was certainly talked about during World War II, but every generation has had people who are willing to serve and to lay their lives down and to give their all for service to our country. So we're blessed here. There are a lot of people who have served and a lot who are still serving in a variety of capacities. We've got people who are a part of Community Alliance Church. Some of them are now on their second and third tour in Iraq and Afghanistan. One a friend of mine, a couple of friends. One is there now in Afghanistan for his third time and another is leaving in a few weeks for his third tour in Afghanistan. So there are a lot of people that serve on a regular basis. So this morning, uh, and just for, hold off for a minute. This morning I want to give you a gift if you've never gotten one before that uh, we had last year, and it's a, a book just simply says thank you for your service. But i love for those who are in the military or those who have people connected with the military if you would stand in just a moment. And then I want to broaden it for a second. There are a lot of people who are first responders who literally are the ones who run into battle as opposed to away from it. And this last year or so has even allowed us to be reminded of firemen who walk in unprotected and whose lives have been taken. Police officers who do take protection and still whose lives have been taken. I watched a story a couple of weeks ago of the MIT uh, police officer who was killed after the Boston Situations. There are a lot of people, firemen and medics and first responders and police officers. We have so many in our church who are police officers in our local community and Pennsylvania State Police. So I'd, I'd love to have you stand this morning so that we can honor and recognize you as well. But if you're one of those who are serving, I'm going to ask the ushers if you'd come for a minute. If you're one of those who are serving or have served in any way in the military, if you could stand and if you've never received one of these, the ushers have one for you. Right there, John, in that box there. We would appreciate that. Would you stand right where you're at? You are serving or have someone who has served in the military? Stay standing. If you've never received one of these, raise your hand. We have a great gift for you. Thank you so very much for your service. If you are... Wow. That's a lot. Thank you so much, sir. Stay standing for a moment. If you're a first responder, a first responder, a medic, a fireman, a police officer, would you stand with these uh, ladies and gentlemen, firemen, police officers, I see a number of them around. (laughs) Father, we are extremely blessed to have people who lay their lives down for the cause of safety and the cause of this nation. We're so delighted to be in a nation where people are free to explore Christ and explore the gospel in a way that feels free when so many other nations around this globe are in such distress, not only in Philippines because of the mass of people who have been impacted by the hurricane, but there are so many in churches who are today under duress and under the microscope and will be uh, martyred in some cases for their faith. And we're delighted that we can be in a nation of people who have given their all, people who are willing to sacrifice, people who serve in so many different capacities. So please, O God, bless and protect those who are serving, those who are here in our church family and our fellowship here this morning and others that are represented by those who are serving in other places. Bring them home safely, O God. May tomorrow for all of us be a day of remembrance of those who are willing to lay down their lives to give their all to run toward a battle as opposed to away from it. Protect them and bless them. For military wives and husbands who maybe at the first didn't sign up for that but realize their spouse has gone on a regular basis and they're home alone and trying to adjust and readjust constantly to that upheaval, please bless them and protect them and use them. Father, thank you again for your grace for this wonderful nation that is so dark in some places but so light in others. And we're delighted that we can serve you in the military, police forces, firemen, medics all around this place. Protect them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very, very much. I hope you enjoyed the series on Joshua. We finished last Sunday morning, and I love Joshua. Sometimes we, we don't always talk about man's man, and Joshua was one of those. Sometimes we kind of wimp down Christianity and talk about it not being a, a, a person of faith and being able to be a man's man and still a follower of Christ and to be a warrior in some cases. And obviously, as we even see some of you stand here this morning, many of you are in those kind of situations where you are being warriors for Christ. And we don't often talk about that. And uh, I'm delighted to be able to have a character like Joshua, who was a man's man and a warrior for Christ. And served him in that capacity. This morning we switch gears to another character. We're going to talk about a woman for the next few weeks. Her name happens to be Esther. It may be a story that you're familiar with, one that you've heard a long time ago. It's a fascinating difference between the books. Joshua, obviously, is a, a, a warrior. Esther is a beauty queen. Joshua was obviously in places where the hand of God was moving in really powerful and demonstrative ways. I mean, when you have seen like Joshua did, the the Red Sea part and Jordan River part and the miraculous take place and the walls of Jericho come crumbling down, you know you have seen the hand of God. You know it's been obvious and evident that God has moved in incredibly powerful ways and you didn't even have to wonder where God was in the midst of all of that. And then we move to Esther this morning where the name of God isn't even mentioned in the book who saw God work in really amazing ways. I, I could have titled this sermon, Defining Moments. And next Sunday morning and the following it will be, those defining moments in life where you may have not seen the miraculous, but you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God had placed you in that circumstance and in that situation. That God has positioned you where you are at work, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your family, specifically so that you could be used for his glory, even though you may not always see the miraculous. Just simply knowing that God is with you in those day-to-day, moment-by-moment events. Esther is used, if you've never read the book, as what theologians talk about as a really descriptive book of the providence of God. That the idea of God being used in using people and actions and circumstances and all of his creation in the normal everyday course of life, not always with the invention or intervention of the miraculous. So often we look for big signs from God. We want to know that God is there. We'll even have said that in our prayers. Maybe not out loud, but we will have said things like, God, if you really are real, we want you to do this. God, if you really are there. We want you to perform this. God, if you really are God, let me see it. And there's others who really don't have to see the miraculous, who don't always question or don't even have to question, why don't we see God work like he did in the Old Testament or why don't we see God work like he did in the book of Acts, who don't really have to ask those kinds of questions but are absolutely convinced that God is with them in the ordinary events of life, who walks with them day by day, who knows in that moment of where God has placed you and that circumstance you're in and that decision you've made or that situation that you find yourself in that God is there. And God is at work. The story also, like the book of Daniel, is about living out your faith and convictions as a follower of God in a non-believing environment. Any of you know what it's like to be maybe one of the few or one of the only followers of God in your environment where you feel like I'm alone at times. I feel like I'm the only Christian in this place. I'm the only follower of God in this place. If you know what that's like as the only or one of the few followers of God in a given place, then you ought to read the book of Esther and read the book of Daniel. To feel like what it's like to live as a follower of God in a pagan culture that totally ignores God. Now we have... Deep, deep concerns for America. Again, the Billy Graham thing for this weekend was wonderful and powerful of a man who has such an incredible legacy, who have been in every situation you can imagine in all of uh, history in the last 50, 60 years of American society and being a friend of presidents who weeps over this nation, and rightfully so. We have serious issues and serious problems in this land. But then every time I travel to the Middle East or hear stories about the Middle East or what is happening in some of the cultures and contexts, and not only just simply the devastation of what happened in the Philippines as a natural disaster, but I'm talking about people who are in churches all around the globe who feel like they're the only Christians in their entire nation. When you hear Daryl share a few weeks ago of such a small percentage of Christians, what Bob and Grace and Ray and Sid and and, uh, Eric had experienced in, green mountains a few weeks ago in turkey and other places where people feel like they're such a small segment of society trying to live for god in the midst of a pagan culture and for you i'm sure you feel like that every once in a while even in your context as the only follower of god in that place this story for the next few weeks especially in these next couple of weeks will have some significant things to say to you in that environment esther is the story of a young woman who demonstrated living faith and deep character in a very unusual time of her life. To demonstrate that kind of faith that she was called to live out, it could have cost her everything. It could have cost her literally her life. She also lived in a culture where a very clear yet unwritten message to women was this. You are how you look. And I believe Esther had to ask herself that question. Who really am I? She became queen because of her beauty. So it was a legitimate question. Am I a beauty queen, just another pretty face, a trophy wife, or am I a servant of the living God, part of something bigger that makes me willing to take a risk in order to do something that is right? The idea of outward beauty and a person's value has been an issue in our culture for decades. Time magazine had an article years ago on saying this. What makes these women successful, famous, and worth $25,000 a day? I would do that for one-third the price. I mean, every once in a while, I dress up like this and go to the mall saying, doesn't anybody need a 60-year-old model? <laughs> Nobody's ever called me. I'd do it for 1000 bucks a day. I'd be okay with that. The article went on, the reason they defined beauty was this way. They were that expensive and that worth it because of the requirements—at least five foot nine, very thin, high cheeks, large eyes, long legs—and the list went on. The article went on to say, "Who they are is how they look." We live in a world obsessed through the years with appearance. So did Esther. Andre Agassi said years ago, "Image is everything." The same is still true. If you have not the look, but you have the money, you can actually buy it. I read an article of a woman in England who went to great surgical lengths to make herself look like Barbie. A lot of girls in adolescent years have enormous pressure put on them to have the right look. I watched a news segment one time about girls in fourth and seventh grade who suffer with bulimia and anorexia, desperate for the right look. One study said there are over 7 million girls and women in the United States who have eating disorders. Not a lot of reasons for all of that, but among them is certainly the pressure is, is all those cultural icons that we have today who are thin. I read two articles this week in USA Today on that very issue. In Esther's case, she had beauty on her side, but God was calling her to something bigger. Take your Bibles out, if you have them this morning, your iPad or iPhone, whatever it may be, and turn to the book of Esther. Find the book of Psalms. You know where that's at, right? In the middle of the book. Open it up and Turn left. Right between Nehemiah and Job. <coughs> I'm sorry, boy. For the last year, my voice is not what it used to be, and I I, I got to have 20 more years. I can't afford to retire, so I got to talk for 20 more years. My wife says we'll just be quiet at home every once in a while and store up. But had <laughs> to laugh. She just said that yesterday. You there? Esther, chapter 1. Curtain goes up, the drama takes place in Persia, 470 BC, in the middle of a party. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At that time, the king Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. In the Third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the Providence were present. For 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When the days were over, he gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver things on marble pillars. There was marble and mother of pearl and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant and keeping with the king's king's liberality. By the king's command, every guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king instructed the wine swords to serve each man. What he wished. This guy was throwing a huge party, obviously to show off his power. And most of the time, when someone wants to show off this bad externally, you know there's nothing inside. You've seen that with people who are so comedic on the outside and the life of the party. If they're really honest, many times they're the life of the party and so comedic on the outside because there's something desperately on the inside missing. Many clowns will even say that about their life, and they put on the makeup and they put on the exterior actors do the same to try to be someone else because there's nothing inside when someone wants to show off this bad you can be pretty sure there's nothing on the inside little character and this insatiable need to show off more concerned with how he appeared and what people thought than anything else anything that would threaten that was a threat to his identity Abuse and misuse of power is a theme throughout the Old and the New Testament and certainly one displayed down through history, from dictatorial regimes to immorality and everything from the White House to Wall Street and everything in between. This theme here is nothing that anyone hasn't seen in our context. This whole thing was designed in a contemporary setting to get everyone to walk by Xerxes and say, you are the man, and he would, of course, agree, I really am. Verse 10, he sends for the queen. You see it there? Now he wants to show her off. And what do you think he wants to show off, her intelligence or her business savvy? Now her value to him is how she looked. Look at verse 11. To bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. And her pressure was not just to turn the king's head, but every head in the room. Now, she throws him an enormous curveball when she says, no, I'm not going to do it. To display myself to a bunch of guys after seven days of Miller time, I don't think so. (laughs) And she doesn't. What I found fascinating in the commentaries that I was reading over this section of Scripture is that Martin Luther uses this section of Scripture as an excuse for divorce. that if a woman refuses to meet the needs of a man, then do like King Xerxes did, get rid of her and bring in another. Most Christian interpreters of this section of Scripture would say that if an, un- if an ungodly husband makes an unholy demand on his wife, the wife can justifiably refuse to obey. And I would agree. The difference between this section of Scripture And Paul's description of marital relationship in Ephesians chapter 5 is as different as night and day. You ought to look at those two. The difference of this section of Scripture and Paul's description of a marital relationship in Ephesians chapter 5 is as different as night and day. In Esther chapter 1, respect is demanded. In Ephesians, respect is demonstrated. That's a huge difference in a marital relationship. Commentator Scott McKnight said, I believe in a wife submitting to her husband, but I don't believe the husband ever has the right to demand it. My responsibility as a husband is to be worthy of submission and respect. I would agree. When a queen does this and refuses to be used as a trophy the king obviously blows a gasket his frail identity has been crushed and he's got to do something to to look good and so he calls all his advisors in and verse 17 said what do we do for if the queen's conduct becomes known to all the women they'll despise their husbands and say king Xerxes commanded queen Vashti to be brought before him and she didn't come can you imagine what would happen if word gets out so his plan replace her And they set out for a new queen, chapter 2. And what do you think is the criteria for a new queen? How she looks. And so a beauty contest is set, and Esther comes into the picture at that moment, an orphan child adopted and raised by her cousin Mordecai. She won the preliminary round and was one of the finalists. And in verses 9 to 12 of chapter 2, she prepares for that experience, 12 months' worth. Now, that's a long time to get ready for a date. In verses 13 to 17, Esther is chosen, and to her surprise and to anyone's surprise, the king, of course, gives another banquet. What we need to remember about this for these next couple of weeks is that this story is about something much bigger than what you see in the moment. Mordecai, her cousin, is going to keep a very close eye on her. There's a man named Haman who is a king's right-hand man who hated the Jews and plotted against Mordecai. And the one to thwart the entire thing was a young gal named Esther. I'm Fascinated through Scripture how often God uses young people. Sometimes we, it was just why Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone ever look down on you because you're young. You see it in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see it all the way through recorded scripture. You see it obviously in the Christmas story that we'll share in a few weeks with Mary. And in this case, God uses a young woman to intervene in one of the most amazing ways at the time that could have literally wiped out the Jewish nation. She finds herself in an unbelievable set of circumstances at a defining moment in her life. And she has to decide, who really am I? What do I want? And who do I serve? Really powerful questions that all of us at one time or the other need, need to answer. Is my career who I am? Am I defined by my career? In my world, do I look out just for me and my concerns? Is there a bigger plan that God has for me? Is there another reason that I am where I am beyond a paycheck? That's a great question to ask in your career. Is there another reason that I am where I am in my career beyond a paycheck? Does God have me there for a very specific reason and a very specific purpose? So how does Esther do? Next week you're going to find out. I want to take the time remaining this morning to ask us to consider some questions that help us Understand how we live as people of God in a world that says your value is based on how you look, where you live, the grades you make, or what you do for a a living. I want to ask a number of questions. One is, how deeply have I bought into that mentality? That my value really is based on either how I look or where I live or the grades I make or what I do for a living. The question isn't, have you bought into that mentality? The question is, how deeply? If we're honest, to some extent or the other, many of us have bought into that, that my value is based on a lot of other things. In what ways do I think that if I get all the right stuff, that will satisfy? And if I'm not careful, do I measure a person's value based on the things around them? And am I sensitive to how that, if I'm not careful, can damage people who don't measure up everyone's standards, yet are made in the image of God. My wife and I are both huge fans of Billy Graham, so every Sunday morning on the way in (coughs) at 7.30 we'll listen to him on Word. And and this morning it was a reiteration of some of the things that took place this week in his hope for America, and he was sharing some stories of defining moments, uh, of football players and music people who really were in those defining moments of life. David Tyree, one of them. Uh, the most well-known in the New York Giants defeat over the New England Patriots who said, "I, I thought all of that would give me everything I wanted. And I found out that after all of that search, for all of that stuff, there was something so deep inside and I was finding myself going after all the wrong things. I can ask the same question in another way, how important, funny, connected, cool, and popular do people have to be to be in your world, to hang out with you, to be in your small group or to be your friend. For a church to understand New Testament community, the issue is a huge issue. James 2 addresses the issue. He said, I want to be really honest with you. You cannot hold your faith in Christ in one hand and personal favoritism in the other. They're totally inconsistent with one another. You cannot judge people or things on face value. It destroys community. Our world is full of that. Ever notice that we make heroes out of the strangest people in sports or Hollywood or musicians? One of my favorite verses is in 1 Samuel 16 where God says to Samuel clearly after trying to choose a king based on the externals and having the sons of Jesse paraded in front of him one after the other after the other only to have them turned down and finally say, okay, you have any other kids? And this little shepherd boy David, again a young man, comes into the scene And God very clearly reminds Samuel, look, you look on the outside. I look for the heart. You judge people based on exteriors, how they look or how they dress or what they do for a living or where they work or any of those kind of things. I look for the heart. works best in a church when we value mercy and fidelity, kindness, grace, and character. Not what the world tells us to value. Another question obviously could be, am I personally overly concerned with externals or my own appearance. Trying to run over the place to find value and be valued until that ache, as I said a moment ago about David Tyree, and heart was so desperately empty, looking for a place to be who you are, to be yourself, to be accepted just as you are. The beauty of Christianity and the gospel message is that you can find that in Christ. He takes you literally just as you are. Final question is, do I spend near as much time, money, or energy on things that develop my heart for God as I do on all the other stuff around me, some of which are fine? You ought to work out. Some of you really ought to work out. You ought to eat right. Absolutely you ought to eat right. Have good hygiene, especially when you come here on Sunday. That would be awesome. You need to take care of yourself but is there balance in those areas or do we get them all out of balance? Do we find ourselves preoccupied with outward development, usually driven by the question, can I find someone or some place where I can just be loved and accepted for who I am? Or do we find ourselves in, or out of balance in that area <coughs> where we spend so much time on that stuff and not near as much time on inward development? where I concentrate really hard on loving and accepting other people, people who are different than me, who look different than I do, who act different, come from different backgrounds. One of the things I love about CAC, hundred things that I love about this church, but one of the things I love about it is because I know so many people for such a long period of time is that we're literally walks from all, or coming from walks all over this community that feel comfortable together, that worship together, that love God together, that sing and praise God together. Do you personally find yourself spending as much time on making sure that you're developing those areas in your life where you really do love and accept other people who are different, to grow in love, to grow in grace, and learn to forgive? We live in a world of people starving for grace, desperately looking for a place where they can be accepted just for who they are, not for how they look or what they wear or where they work, Obviously, you and I have found that in Christ, and it certainly should be found in this church, where God's amazing grace is not only sung about, but dispensed freely, because it was so freely dispensed to us from God through Christ. If you've ever, ever, ever wondered how valuable you are, let me clearly remind you, you were handcrafted by God. Now, that's pretty valuable. Psalm 139 said, I was handcrafted by God. I wish I were more creative than what I am, certainly at times, and could do things and build things and make things like others can. I'm always fascinated by people's creativity and some of the things they invent or some of the things they do or create. But you and I were handcrafted by God. That ought to make you feel pretty special that God shaped you and formed you in his image and put all the pieces together in what he wanted you to be. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son into this world to show us how to live, how to love, and pay the ultimate price for our sins and offered us the greatest future anyone could ever imagine. If you've ever, ever wondered how valuable you are, And think at times that people look at you through the other things. Let me just simply remind you, you are incredibly valuable to the living God. So valuable that he made you and bought you and paid for you and offers you the absolute greatest gift of all, and that is to spend all eternity in his kingdom. I don't care what this guy offers in Esther chapter 1, and I don't care how magnificent it looks. It will not even come close in comparison to the future that God has prepared for us, for those who love him. He said, no mind can conceive, no eye has ever seen what I have in preparation for those who love me. You are loved by God, created by his hand, called into his kingdom, given life because of his son on the cross. And he offers you the most amazing future that anyone has ever even thought of. So don't ever think that you're valuable because of what you do or what you drive or what you wear or how you look or where you live or what you do for a living. I've heard people, when I ask them that question, what do you do? They'll say, well, I'm just a man. Incredibly valuable to God. And he may have placed you, and I'm gonna Talk about that next Sunday morning. He may have placed you exactly where he wanted you to be. That no one else can fill that spot but you. That's pretty special. Father, I love your word. Uh, All of these years of exploring it and unpacking it, I'm still amazed and stunned by the things that it reveals and the things that it shows, stories that I've seen over and over again since I was a kid still make me stand in awe of who you are and what you do and how you reveal yourself. So in these weeks together as we unpack it and even in these moments this morning, as we begin to think about ourselves, how we look at life, how we look at people, how we think we're viewed and how we honestly view ourselves, speak to us of your love and your grace. Once we've received that grace, help us to dispense it freely. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.